So happy episode 200. 200 episodes. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a, Ooh, it's a tragedy. Fun. It's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. No, it's a statistic. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. I have, you know, uh, I am proud of us for sticking to it. I think, um, you know, there have been times when I've been excited about doing the show. There are times when uh, it comes to be recording time and I'm just happy to visit with my friend Dave. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, it, it, it does feel like an accomplishment, you know, for to have, to have this gone on for, for years. It's great. Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate the companionship. It always has helped me stay up on top of things. And, and the other part too, is the, uh, you know, special thanks to all the listeners we have that have, have been on this journey with us that, you know, we, we need to do a clip show. Uh, but, um, you know, think about like the first episode we did with my crappy microphone and um, yeah, there's so many, so many, uh, so many gems that we could probably pull out. It's true. It's true. Yeah. We should mm-hmm. do a, uh, yeah, we should, we should do a, uh, I, you know, if now that, now that we're hitting episode 200, I'm realizing that we should have collected material for a blooper reel. Yes. Uh, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. It's all... We'll do that over the next 200. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. or, or are all of them blooper reels? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Oh, all right. Well, so how, how's your Tesla? Oh, great question. Uh, first of all, my Tesla is fantastic. Thanks for asking. Um, the I got to tell you, man, the Model Y is where it's at. It's a mm-hmm. it is a solid car. Um, I am delighted with it. Um, uh, my first accessory was a hard drive. Uh, and now that I've, <laughs> yeah, that's real. And now that I've, now that I've plugged the hard drive into it, uh, if somebody brushes too close to my precious child, uh, mm-hmm. my precious child turns on all eight HD cameras, uh, that are, that are collected around it. And, uh, and I, and I record them. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's part of the, uh, the alarm system is, so you just stick the hard drive in there, format it. And, uh, and now it will, if I get in a crash, honk the horn, or if somebody brushes up too close to it while the alarm's turned on, um, the mm-hmm. cameras will record everything that happened. It's pretty cool. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Um, unfortunately, it is not immune to nails. So mm. I did run over a nail uh, about a weekend. I ran over a nail and mm-hmm. uh, got into the car. And the car uh, warned me not to, not to go into gear because one of my tires was flat. And I got out. And sure enough, the car was right. The tire was flat. So, wow. So spent a little bit of time in the shop getting getting a new tire put on or getting the tire patched rather. But uh, besides that, uh, it has been an absolute dream. Um, I think my next uh, the next adventure I'm going to have with it is uh, uh, Soren and I may do movie night in the car. Mm, okay. I think that might be I think that might be fun. I think okay. that might be fun. Nice. Yeah. Well, you got the hard drive for it. Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and the, and the car streams Netflix, dude. All right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, what else are you going to do while it's autonomously driving around? Did you do that yet? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I have. Um, so the it, it excels on the highway. Um, not mm-hmm. too great on the residential streets, which is probably for the best. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, when I drove it back from the shop, uh, I told it to just drive me back from the shop. And it uh, 
maintain a safe distance. Uh, somebody cut me off on an, on an on-ramp and it compensated well. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, hit a slow person on the highway. You turn on the indicator and it'll pass the person mm. on the highway. Um, it did a great job. It did a great job. Um, extremely disconcerting to know that your car can do that because, yes. uh, I've, I've found that I'd never really know which mode I'm in. Oh. Uh, I kind of, I kind of have to constantly check myself and be like, well, is the car driving or am I driving? Um, mm -hmm. which is, uh, that's, that's an uncomfortable feeling. That's an uncomfortable feeling. So I think I'll use it for, uh, you know, kind of long rides if I'm driving to Dallas, for example, but, uh, I probably will not use it on the day to day. Yeah. Right. Right. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, but super cool. cool. Yeah. It's great. It's great. I strongly recommend it. If you're thinking about buying a Tesla Model Y, you should do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So what about you? What's, what's, uh, what's new over there? Mm, not much, not much. Just, uh, still living a dream here. Wonderful weather, motorcycle riding, growing my hair out. What else <laughs> am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you, have you tried it? Have you ever grown a beard? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I typically do that like over the, the holiday shutdown, you know, between Christmas and New Year's and it's long enough to, uh, make my wife mad. Um, and then I go like another week yeah. and, uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't, it's not a good look because um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's gray now and, yeah. and, and it sort of blends in with my skin. So it's not, it's, it's no, uh, Ernest Hemingway look on me. I gotcha. Yeah. I was thinking you either went Ernest Hemingway or like a disheveled vagrant. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Right. Right. Disheveled yeah. Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's good. Well, what do we got for, uh, what, what's on the, what's on tap for 200 Dave? Yeah, this one, it's not going to be a marathon. Maybe it will. Uh, but, but we're going to talk about, uh, asking for more and improving our negotiation skills. Classic, classic material. Mm -hmm. This is great. All right. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and if people need to get, uh, the, uh, uh, episode 200 commemorative, uh, tote bag, uh, where we need to send them. <laughs> um, they should go to, uh, uh, dgshow.org. Uh, that's mm -hmm. D is in 200 G as in episodes show.org. Nice. Okay. Yep. And then, uh, cutting room floor, we got some, uh, AI generated animals and then a, a charming photo album of a list stars with, uh, some lady. It's, it is really charming. So this, this photo album was just discovered in a thrift shop somewhere. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And, yep. uh, it just filled with photos of this, uh, anonymous Belgian woman with like a hilarious number of stars, like Lawrence Fishburne, Keanu Reeves, uh, Jack Johnny Nicholson, Johnny yeah. Depp. It's, it's just like one after the other. You can't believe it. Yeah. Um, and, and the A-list stars of that era too. Yes. It is definitely a, definitely a point in time. For sure. Yeah, Bruce yeah. Bruce Willis. <laughs> Bruce Willis in like, suspenders. That's yeah. right. In suspenders and the uh undershirt. And the, and the suspenders and the undershirt, which is a specific Bruce Willis era, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a strong look. It's a strong look. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But uh Man. also we've got a we've got some viewer mail, don't we? Yes. Yeah, we do. So uh Johan is back. Nice. Yeah, nice. so he was Great he was home. uh he was writing us last time about the uh, the uh, robot uh, RoboCop dog in Singapore that was uh, 
reminding people to be socially distant uh, in parks and things like that. And right, uh, that that uh, that triumph of uh, business development over at iRobot, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah the the yeah. Uh, employee of the month. Yeah, um, the yeah goes to the BD guy. Um, so yeah, so um, Johan writes, uh, I have my kids indoctrinated with a love of Linux already. Emily uh, has her school Chromebook full of Red Hat stickers, and Noah from seven years and he's eight now, uh, tries to write Python from his Fedora laptop. And he uh, used to send him uh, Johan photos of the screen at work asking, dad, why does this program not work? And he's basically debugging (laughs) over text messages. Uh, Yeah. And then he also says that uh, he, he reminds his kids not to touch Windows laptops at stores because they may get viruses. Yeah, that's real. That's real. That's true. It's true, kids. Listen to your dad. He's famous. (laughs) That's right. Noah, Emily, thanks for listening. Yes, thank you. You're our uh, special people uh, celebrating episode 200 with us. That's right. That's right. Yep. All right. Uh, So we got got, uh, Fugaku. Yeah, that's that's the new, uh, he's fighting Godzilla, right, in in the new movie. That's right. A metaphorical Godzilla, I guess. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's the, the top 500 supercomputers are out. And uh, sadly, uh, U.S. relinquishes the crown uh, this time around. Uh, they're uh, number two and number three uh, with Summit and Sierra. But uh, Fugaku uh, is uh, number one. And um, um, so what what uh, what's special about it? Oh, uh, I, uh, I, 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 this, this was, uh, this was a hard fought, uh, and, and a great deal of work. Uh, but the nice thing about this supercomputer is that it runs Red Hat Enterprise Linux. I am pleased <laughs> to say, um, as, as do, uh, number two and number three, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which yeah. are the summit and Sierra systems, uh, mm-hmm. which are at the, at the national labs there. Um, yeah, this thing is, uh, man, it's a beast. It's a beast. Yeah. Uh, this thing it uh so it's first it runs an arm microprocessor yeah seven million cores yeah wow which i can't even wrap my head around and then four million gigs of ram uh yeah. so the good news is they can run chrome yeah <laughs> true true yeah not too many tabs so but yeah <laughs> that's right yeah they can leave gmail open for like a month it's amazing right <laughs> yeah yeah. So, so if, you know, if we think about Linux and supercomputing and nowadays, if, uh, what, what percentage of the top 500 run Linux nowadays? Uh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. Of course. Everyone that's in the top 500 runs Linux. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, which is great. And, and it's for obvious reasons. First of all, these computers are supercomputers. They're built to do supercomputing, but, one of the reasons why they exist is so that they can create uh, a market for their innovations downstream, right? So the, the the idea is that the technology that goes into these supercomputers several years later will end up in a kind of a traditional data center, right? And yeah, like a trickle down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. if they start on Linux and they know that Linux is in these data centers that that, that they that they want to end up in, um, makes it a lot easier, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, also, you know, obviously running on Linux gives them a head start. It's a it's an easy place to start as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, as opposed to some other platform. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's great. It's amazing to think that that uh, that this one operating system can run 
all of the supercomputers. It's uh, it's really yeah. quite an accomplishment. So why why like number one, two, and three, and a bunch of others on the mm-hmm. top five hundred? Why are, why would you say they're running RHEL as opposed to like Yggdrasil or Slackware or something like that? Right, right, or Gen two or something. Yeah, um, I think uh, so. First of all, RHEL is a uh, RHEL is a known quantity. I think that helps mm-hmm. a great deal. Um, and frankly, I think the fact that Red Hat stands behind RHEL is a big part of it. Right, um, if you're going to invest several billion dollars in a set of supercomputers, um, you don't want to have to uh, send an email to the, like the Linux kernel mailing list if you run into a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you actually need access to expertise um, and folks who know what they're doing and know their way around the kernel. And uh, partnering with Red Hat is obviously a, a great way to get access to that kind of talent. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure I, I'm I'm sure that's part of it. In some of these cases, though, you know, some of these supercomputers do kind of sensitive national security stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so they appreciate things like common criteria certifications and FIPS validation and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's part of the that's part of the calculus too. Um, and then there's also our basically endless charisma. Um, yes, and I think we can't discount that either. No, no, that's priceless. Uh, how could you put a price on that? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Jeepers, four hundred fifteen thousand teraflops on that Fugaku computer. Yep. Unbelievable. And, and, and I think notable Dave too, that is running on arm. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor this too much, but um, it is, I think it is interesting that uh, number one runs on arm and then summit and Sierra, which are number two and three, they both run on power and, uh, and not traditional x86 chips, um, which is kind of a signal to me that uh, it looks like we're getting some, you know, innovation in the microprocessor world, which is great. Mm-hmm. Great to see. Yeah, yeah. And well, and I know too, like uh, Summit for sure and Sierra, I think they, they also do a lot with um, NVIDIA GPUs as well, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think we've talked about this before that um, uh, used to be that, you know, you, you depended entirely on the CPU for the performance of your computer and for a variety of reasons. Um, people are relying more and more on hardware accelerators um, to get this work done. And so, you know, the combination of a general purpose CPU alongside a GPU, which is like really, really, really good at parallel processing um, and things like calculating triangles. Um, yep. Uh, and then to have, an, you know, things like FPGAs, which are basically like programmable hardware. Um, mm-hmm. So if you've got a, uh, just for folks who aren't familiar with field programmable gate arrays or FPGAs, the idea here is that you have a chip that you can basically program with whatever algorithm you want. So if, for example, um, you want to, oh, I don't know, encrypt a stream of data as it's coming through, you could do it in software, but that would mm-hmm. uh, that would put a burden on your CPU. So if instead you take your encryption algorithm and you stick it in an FPGA, then you can that FPGA can very, very quickly execute all your encryption stuff. And so you can... Uh, send your data stream through the through the FPGA. The FPGA does its work really quick. Um, and if the next day you decide you don't want to encrypt and you instead want to compress, um, you can just load a new bit stream into the FPGA and now you've got a piece of hardware doing compression. Um, mm-hmm. So the combination of uh, the combination of these FPGAs, you know, GPUs uh, being an example of these, and the and the CPUs, um, it's a really interesting space right now um, as programmers try to get more and more performance 
um, they're relying more and more on hardware acceleration in order to do that. And there's no better example of that than the AI ML space, where now you have chips that are like specialized for AI applications or ML applications, machine learning applications. Yep. Yeah. And this, this goes back to, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, Jim Totnisms is uh, lighting up the hardware too. It's yeah. like you need that operating system to glue it all together of having the exotic ASICs and FPGAs and the, um, you know, all your compute, the, the, you know, the processors, uh, you know, the CPUs and everything. It's, you know, when performance is critical, um, you need, uh, you know, good operating system to tie it all together. Exactly. And obviously no better choice than Red Hat Enterprise Linux, as we know. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So that's yeah. cool. Congratulations, by the way, to everybody on the rail team who worked on, uh, who worked on that Fugaku project. That was, uh, Man, that was a lot of work, but uh, uh, it's nice to see it. Uh, nice to see it online. It's great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So let's let's talk about negotiation. All right. Let's talk about negotiation. That sounds great. Yeah. So I I got this book. Uh, it you know it's like I get these books and it's like the the you know for the next couple months it's like if I really enjoy it that's the book I recommend to everybody and this is like the book I've been recommending to everybody but. Um, it's, it's called ask for more 10 questions to negotiate anything. And, you know, it's like, I got it. And it's like, oh, this is going to help me negotiate a, uh, better deal on a car or something mm -hmm. or, or something to do with sales or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's actually the way, um, uh, it's, uh, Alexandra Carter, uh, the author talks about negotiation is it's, it's more about like negotiating a kayak through like a river to get into a cave. It's, you know, think of negotiating that way as opposed to, you know, two people um, on opposite sides of a table and, and trying to like fight over something. Um, so I, I thought that was a really good uh, way about it. And, you know, the other thing is that, um, you know, it's, it's counterintuitive uh, unless it's like at Red Hat, we, we tend to be very transparent, but, um, it resonated with me is where she said that, you know, instead of holding back information, you want to be as um, transparent as possible to encourage transparency as well. And, uh, and we, we talked about that a little bit for before too, but what, what do you think about that in terms of transparency or keeping your cards close to the vest? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. I, in the last several weeks I've, um, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of uh, making space you know, kind of mm -hmm. like making cognitive space for things. And transparency is not just a, a, a thing that's good in and, in and of itself, although maybe that's true. It's the, the, the premise of transparency is that you are creating additional space. So in your example, um, holding all your cards to your chest, you, you might be protecting a negotiating position, but what you're actually doing is closing off avenues of resolution, right? Mm -hmm. um, options. And yeah. Options. It's all about option value. So if you show the other person your cards, um, then you can start co-creating a solution with the other person um, as opposed to, you know, if, uh, so Dave, if I came to you and said, uh, give me a hundred dollars, mm -hmm. you, you, you'd rightly have some questions, right? You, right. You'd, yeah. And so that's because yeah. I, I've jumped to the end of, of the, of the transaction. And instead, if I, if I started with, well, listen, I need to do X, Y, Z in order to do X, Y, Z, I need a hundred dollars. So Dave, can you give me a hundred dollars? Well, now suddenly now there's more opportunity for you to come 
up with a better solution than giving me a hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Or giving you the hundred dollars because your reasoning is uh, unimpeachable. Yes, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you owe me a hundred bucks is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yes. Great. Yes. All right. Mm -hmm. Solved. Yeah. No, this is, so, no, this is, yeah. this is, this is really interesting. I, um, I also re uh, read a book recently and I'm going to forget the name of it. Uh, it might be, might be one of those like getting to yes kind of books, mm -hmm. but, uh, uh, where they talk about, it's a similar idea where you want to start with your intent. Um, uh, say like what I want is for what I want is to be able to X or what I want is to, um, have X, Y, Z happen. Uh, and if you start your negotiation from there, as opposed to here's what I want you to give me, um, mm -hmm. then again, more option value. Uh, and now you're, now, if you start with your intent, you're actually in a, you're in a place to actually have one of these kayak kind of negotiations down a, down a rapids, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and so that's where, you know, this book I think is pretty good because it's, you know, it's these 10 questions and it's like five questions you want to ask yourself and then five mm -hmm. questions you want to ask the person you're negotiating with to, mm -hmm. and, and so a lot of it is like the soul searching part, which like, even if you're not negotiating with somebody, I've, I found like these questions to ask yourself when you're soul searching about, you know, particular things, right. About, you know, you want to do something or, you know, you want a new car. Why do you want a new car or whatever? You know, it's like, what, what problem are you trying to solve? And, mm -hmm. um, so like the, the five questions are like, you know, what problem am I trying to solve here? And then it's like, okay, once you identify what problem you're trying to solve, it's like, okay, what, what do I need? What, what do my needs look like? Mm -hmm. And then like, what are your feelings? It's like, how do you feel about this? And, you know, maybe you're emotionally tied to a particular thing of, of like, you know, it's like, it could be like a lawsuit and, you know, somebody is, um, you know, somebody wronged you and, and, it, you know, your feelings play into this. And, um, so you might as well identify it instead of letting it lie behind the, the surface. And the other thing that has happened, uh, or that they talk about too, the other, the, question four and five is, you know, they, they talk about, you know, like a lot of times you may have these blocks in terms of um, like, I don't even know how to get started. Right. And so the question you want to ask yourself is like, okay, well, how have I done something similar successfully in the past? And to sort of tease out, you know, it's like, how do we get started with this negotiation? And then the, the next steps, it's like, okay, what's the first step? And then, so you do all this soul searching and all this research your, yourself first before you talk to the other person. And then when you go and you meet with the other person, you know, you, you get them to define the goal and to say what their needs look like and how their feelings are. And, you know, and it's like, they may just be so irate that it's like, you know, they may not, or, or they may have like no solution. I don't know how to do this. Well, getting them to think about, well, how have you been successful in the past in trying to solve this problem? And it sort of opens up the aperture of what's, what's possible. Um, and then talking about what's the next step. But one of the really cool things in this book is like, she said that one of the questions that is the most powerful one is it's actually not a question. Um, and it's, it's just basically, you know, tell me about blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, tell me about your problem or whatever. So, you know, instead of the, the yes, no question of like, you know, how was your day today? And it's like, fine. Or, mm -hmm. or did you have a good day? Yes. And end of question you want to try to ask is open-ended of questions as possible to get people to open up and, you know, 
they, you know, deep down, they may not have thought through fully. And by asking the open-ended questions, it allows them to open up and express things out loud that they may not even, you know, mold over yet. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Again, this idea of uh, creating space, right? Like uh, uh, creating an opportunity uh, and creating an opportunity for option value. I love it. I love it. I like this. And I like this. And I like this, this, these questions. And I like the sequence of questions because um, it's specific, right? It's, uh, it's like a checklist you can run through before you go into what is, you know, potentially a contentious conversation. Um, I also like this idea of reflection um, so that uh, you can be, you know, one of the hardest things about walking into a, con- uh, you know, a negotiation kind of a scenario is, I don't, I don't know about you, but I always feel ill-equipped, right? Yes. Um, and to be able to answer these, if I have the answer to these five questions, like, uh, what do I, uh, how do I feel? What's the problem I want to solve? What do I need? What's my next step? That, that, that will make me feel more equipped to have mm-hmm. a useful conversation with the other person. So that's great. I love it. Yeah. Instead of having to think it out, under duress or under pressure, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah. you know, I'm the type of person that it's like, I'm, I would much rather get the questions in advance and be able to like reflect on them. And so mm-hmm. I can come up with a good answer instead of like shooting from the hip or um, in the heat of the moment, trying to come up with something. Yeah. Um, well, I think, so what these questions do is it allows you to make space in kind of several dimensions. The first is creating space for yourself, right? In answering these five questions, you're you're opening up your options. It's helping you be more creative about the problem in front of you and even get, even uh, forcing you to actually articulate the problem, which is often mm-hmm. kind of surprisingly difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And so having created space in your, creating space for yourself, and then if you think about you and the person you're negotiating with, you two are now basically a team. Right. And yes. what, what these questions allow you to do is uh, make space for the team to now solve the problem. Right. And create openings mm-hmm. for um, all of the good ideas to flow in. Um, whereas I need a hundred dollars uh, kind of comically narrows the aperture, right. For the quality right. of the conversation you're going to have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it allows, you know, I, I forget what book it was that I read that, you know, it talks about like, instead of attacking two people attacking each other across the table, you want to put the problem on the table and have the people metaphorically stand on the same side of the table and attack the problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a team, like you said, to be able to do that. Um, yeah. And one of, you know, the, when you say space too, um, one of the other things that they, that she mentioned in the book, um, so she's like a, a professional mediator, like a, a lawyer that uh, specializes in mediation um, where, you know, it's not like she's representing one party or the other. She's like in the middle trying to figure out, like, how do you how do you negotiate and bring two sides together with a, an amicable solution? Mm-hmm. But what she talks about, one of the other things is like the you know, talking about space is the human element of the negotiations as well, where, you know, it's like you know, have refreshments, you know, have water there, have, you know, so make it, you know, a, uh, you know, so it's sort of the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs of, of getting, you know, certain things like off the table in terms of like, you know, somebody, you know, making, you know, how they would, you know, the cop shows where somebody's sitting in the, in the box, right. And they don't have any water or whatever, and or they can't go to the bathroom. It's like, you got to make it, uh, make it so that they could, you know, they're not focused on their, um, 
you know, immediate needs right now of whether they're thirsty or not, and they could focus more on the problem at hand. Right. Right. Maslow's Maslow's hierarchy. Right. Yep. Yeah. Self-actualization. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And I like, and you mentioned the, the human element. I think um, the third question is what do I feel about this? I think that's, that is also a component of a negotiation that um, I'm either dealing with kind of, or addressing uh, subliminally, right. Or like subconsciously, but rarely mm -hmm. is it, ra rarely is it actually put on the table as a, as a part of the problem, right. Or as a potential part of the solution. Um, yeah. I think that's really important. Oh, that's the other thing that she mentions in the book too, is that she talks about, you know, um, things like the feelings, there may be some, you know, like quote unquote, ugly feelings, right. That, uh, you would have towards, you know, a particular negotiation or the person you're negotiating with. And, you know, you could, you know, you may not want to like recognize it, but, you know, sometimes you got to call it out and, you know, at least to yourself to recognize where, where those problems are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. This is like a, this is a really humane way. And I can imagine applying this, not just to, you know, you think about a negotiation and, and like you were saying earlier, you think about it immediately as like buying a new car or something like that. Right. Um, but uh, I can see this being valuable even in a kind of personal relationships, right? Um, yeah. In your uh, disagreement with your spouse or talking with your kids or, I mean, I, this seems or like a, employees or yep. your bots, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I like this a lot. Yeah. And, you know, think about how like with your, you know, you, you'd have a, uh, an associate come to you and they'd be like, I have no solution to this problem. Well, how, you know, how, how have you handled something success, you know, like this in the past successfully before? And, um, you know, to get them to think about that and think about their feelings and, you know, so instead of just zeroing in on the problem, um, you know, think a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. So let me, I'm going to, I'm going to practice here with a conversation I recently had with my six-year-old son. You ready? Okay. Okay. What's the problem I want to solve? Get your shoes on. Okay. What do I need you to get your shoes on? Mm -hmm. What do I feel? Impotent rage. How feel have like I got to get your shoes on? <laughs> <laughs> How have I handled this in the past? By making you get your shoes on. What's the mm -hmm. first step? Getting one shoe on. Yep. Yeah. There you go. You're right. I wonder what better. the second step is. <laughs> You're right. I feel like I fully exercised the option space in this negotiation mm -hmm. day. This is, yeah, this is a helpful rubric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Solve, problem solve. Chalk <laughs> another one up to this, uh, this new method. Um, I'm sure that this will be, uh, she will want to do uh, uh, the next printing. will want to have this as a case study. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Happy to document this. I, you know, I, got, I have a lot of practice with this negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you winning or is no. it win-win or no, 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 no. It's all, it's all tears, tears and frustration anyway. for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't care. Yeah. I don't trust yeah. my negotiating partners is the real problem there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me, Gunnar, mm -hmm. um, if, if people want to, um, you know, uh, improve their negotiation skills, uh, see that charming lady with uh, Bruce Willis yeah. uh, and, and many other things, uh, AI-generated animals, where should we send them? Oh, they need to go to uh, dgshow.org. That's mm -hmm. D as in Dave, G as in Gunnar, 
show.org. Nice. You All see, right. I, did, I did like an NPR style there. You see, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, you, yeah. I, for a minute, I thought that was Roman Mars. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, happy 200th episode, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Here's to 200 more. Yes, indeed. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody.